Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Trotty. Coming up on today's episode, does prison work? It's the sort of question that uh, conservatives normally wrestle with, uh, but it's slightly fallen out of the headlines with, you know, everything else uh, going on. So we caught up with Robert Buckland, who was Justice Secretary in the Cabinet up until the reshuffle in September. We're also going to hear from a former inmate about life on the inside and life on the outside. So that's coming up in just a moment. But first, it's our columnist panel. It's Thursday. So it must be night at the Marriott. It's India Night and James Marriott. Let's start then with the biggest story of the day. And migrants trying to, to reach the UK. Uh, more than 27 have died uh, in the channel. There's a very simple question to which there is no simple answer. But what is the solution? India. Um, I thought your opening thing was magnificent, um, actually. And the person who didn't like it probably would like what I have to say, which is that of course, it's right to go after people smugglers. And of course, there's a lowest of the low. The French interior minister, I think it was, said yesterday that the uh, the boat that these poor people were in were like, was like something you'd find in a swimming pool. But people smugglers only exist because people are desperate. They're escaping from terror, from poverty, from disease, from chaos, as I think we all would were we in that incredibly tragic and unfortunate situation. So I hate the politics of it. I'm I'm permanently appalled by the really hysterical narrative that this great tide of people is coming to swamp us. You know, actually, France has many more uh, refugees than us, and Germany has more than France, uh, I think. So what I actually think is that we should take more of them, and I think we should make it easier for them to get here, because the harder you make it for people to get here, the more people will die. It's just an incontrovertible fact, as far as I'm concerned. There are people who feel they've got nothing to lose. They've suffered catastrophe. They're not an invading army. The idea that they are an invading army has taken such hold that it's become this boiling hot political potato that nobody will grab, least of all Priti Patel. And of course, all of that kind of almost, it fuels xenophobia and racism and it almost condones it and it turns it into political capital. And I find that really, really disgusting. Disgusting. I think that oh. I also think that uh, asylum applications should be processed from the country that the asylum seeker is in already uh, so that they don't need to physically be on British soil so that they don't need to get here by these terrible, terrible means in a dinghy in the middle of the night in freezing weather with their baby on their lap. James Marriott. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's horrible, just a horrible, awful tragedy. I'm, I, I'm inclined to agree with India. I think there has to be a kind of safe legal route, and I think I'm right in saying that um, applications for asylum have actually not risen um, since the kind of channel migrant crisis began. Mm. And it's more well, what's what's happened is that now that the sort of UK, with, with partly with Brexit, partly with um, the UK border forces getting more effective at searching lorries, those kind of routes that people coming in that were perhaps less conspicuous and newsworthy have kind of been closed off. So now this horribly tragic situation has developed. I think it's not that there are more the more people coming, just more people coming more conspicuously. And I just think, yeah, the, the primary thing is that people shouldn't die. And in terms of the impact on Britain's population, it's, oh, we're overcrowded and we can't, but it's 0.04% of the population yeah. uh, who've come in the, uh, this year alone. And um, and actually, there's something about, for me anyway, if were we to be much more generous in providing safe legal routes, it would at least give us the moral high ground to be mm. much tougher then on those who uh, do cross the channel. And instead, you get this sort of... You can't be too tough on immigration rhetoric, shouting at the sea, uh, trying to out Farage Farage. Exactly. To no, no apparent end. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the ideas are all mad. I mean, you've covered that already this morning. You disused oil rigs in Albania. But, I mean, even the idea of turning desperate people in boats away. You know, can you imagine if something unimaginably horrendous had happened and it was us it was british people who were fleeing from war and terror without a single possession with their children on their laps and 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 we were turned away i mean it i just find it i find every single proposal demented actually at the moment that 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 the home secretary is coming up with they're like sort of cheese dreams they're mad and they're inhumane and they're really really morally problematic the, the, the infl- problematic wrong the inflatable walls uh was the particular highlight or low light for me um which was sort of politics by watching total wipeouts yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Uh, as a solution but you know uh yeah if if you if you judge success on getting headlines rather than actually doing anything then this is this is where we end up, unfortunately. Well, this is what happens. Endless, endless, endless headlines. No action whatsoever. I mean, I do think the French, you know, that that, that, that photograph of the, oh, the French, French are police culpable or border as well. forces watching people board a dinghy. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, but but I don't think we're covering ourselves in glory either, to put it mildly. No. And the trouble is, you've got, at the very top, you've got uh, Manuel Macron and Boris Johnson, very similar, far more similar than probably either of them would like, who again delight in a turn of phrase more than mm. um, uh, turning a situation around. Um, let's move on and talk about James's column, which I understood this week. <laughs> Hurrah! <laughs> uh, James, the internet has turned our past into a curse, writes a young person. Yes, well, there's this thing called the internet uh, that has sprung up recently that you may have heard of. No, yeah. um, no I'm, I'm glad you understood it. This was a kind of, I don't know, this is just sort of... Um, a bit of a howl of despair column, which are, which are cathartic to write sometimes. But I was just, um, I was sort of, I was on Twitter and I was just looking at um, all the stuff, this kind of endless habit that the internet has of people will say something stupid or horrible as a teenager and it will just bubble up and just never leave them alone. And it'll be as if it happened not 10 years ago or not 20 years ago, but yesterday. Every every time anyone gets into the remotest bit of trouble on the internet, another journalist I know said this actually, every time you get into horrible trouble on Twitter, every stupid or embarrassing thing you've ever done bubbles back up, people find it, and it's not like you did it 10 years ago, as you probably did. It's literally like everything happened yesterday, and the internet just has this kind of way, because it preserves everything so perfectly, because everything's linked to your profile, because you can find everything everybody has ever done instantly. I just kind of feel like the past just 
has failed to fade. And the past of the last 10 years is just like constantly with us every day, bombarding us in this kind of like bananas maelstrom of every single moment of the last 10 years is somehow present at once. And I was thinking, I think this is just a lot of where the madness of the internet comes from is just like, we can never move forward. We can never forget. Everything is always here. I think it's a lot about, I was thinking about the culture war as well and just the way the culture, you know, this kind of culture, the endless battles around race and gender just go round and round and round and round and round and round. And it's just, it's the war that happens when you never forget anything, you never move past anything, you never ignore, you know, nothing ever goes away. Everything just comes back and back and back. Anyway, rant, 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 rant. It was very cathartic to write. No, it was good. It was interesting. Now, um, uh, India, uh, I'm a bit older than James. I think you're a bit older than me. And actually, I what what struck me is that actually it's quite nice, the stuff that the internet doesn't remember. Yeah, do you remember how, do you remember pre-internet days? <clears throat> you that's old. Well, do you know what? Better than that. So I um reading it really made me think about uh, I'm I, when I was like what was I uh, 18 19 20 living in Taunton. I was in a uh, there was a, a sort of sorry a group called Weekender and they used to put we used to put on gigs in Taunton bands and D I did a bit of DJ and we had a fanzine which obviously no, fortunately doesn't exist online. And we're currently in the process of organising a reunion next year. And there's a Facebook group and people are posting things in there. And photos, which obviously never appeared on Facebook, keep resurfacing. Include, have I've we got, got one. Your producer's have just we got, have we got, one. Have we got it? Can we see it? So this, this, my mate Matt, you can see it over here, James. My mate Matt dug this picture up. Uh, brilliant no, it's, picture. it's on this screen. It's on this screen. Was it on the, where's it gone? It was there. Uh, and what's brilliant, what's brilliant is it, uh, I completely forgot about this. This was, we went to a gig in Bristol. Uh, we saw Shed 7, which is why we're playing them this morning, and uh, <laughs> Supergirl. And actually, this was the, the joy of forgetting and remembering is much better than this coming up every 12 months on a Facebook memory. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, but also the overwhelming, what's really funny in a Facebook group about a reunion is the number of people who post, oh my God, I'm so pleased that Facebook didn't exist when we were going to these gigs and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you complete. I was completely there with you, James. But I think because I was on the, so when I was eighteen, nineteen, twenty, it was like early noughties. So it was just pre. Maybe I was the last generation who yeah. could do that stuff without it being captured on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, I have the horrifying knowledge that although I deleted my Facebook account partly to um, escape. Uh, I mean, I, w- I haven't got any pictures quite as exciting as yours. I have to say that uh, as a magnificent jacket you're wearing in that photo. Um, <laughs> and trousers. I mean, you know, the trousers make it. Um, but there are definitely, even though I've, I know, even though I've deleted my Facebook account, there are definitely uh, lots of pictures of uh, a very young, uh, very, very, very chubby faced uh, James Marriott in Freshers 2011 at uh, university um, in fancy dress. Well, see, that's um, looking difference. very ridiculous. So I think that photo is like 2002, 2003. So it was right on the cusp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and the... there were loads of others, which I'm not going to show you, <laughs> uh, where um, I'm wearing quite a lot of knitwear in nightclubs, which seems a very bad idea. <laughs> uh, India, uh, what do you think? Is there something to be said for forgetting? Well, I, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for forgetting. There's a lot to be said for the past being left in the past. You know, you can't really sort of progress unless you shed stuff. And if the stuff is unsheddable because it's always there, hovering by your side, then you can't sort of really move forward. I was really interested in uh, James's point about statue topplers and the idea, the internet-derived uh, idea, he says, that the past exists concurrently with the present and is to be looked at in the same way, judged in the same way, analysed in the same way, and, you know, inevitably found wanting. Um, yeah, I, think I, thought, I thought that really was really true. interesting. The, yeah. sort of the idea that, that basically Edward Colston has to be taken down because he did it yesterday. 
Yeah, ba- basically, this is my this is my feeling that um, the internet has just kind of created this idea that there's a kind of eternal present because online we're used to everything that happened ten years ago existing just as readily and accessibly as something that happened yesterday. We've kind of lost our sense of historical perspective, and now, um, yeah, we just apply it to the real world. And you know, statues, everything exists today, must be treated as if it happened today. Everything's just been collapsed into this like horrible present, and it's incredibly chaotic and incredibly stressful. And no one can differentiate between anything or the fact that anything happened, you know, however many years ago. And yeah, I find it very, very distressing. So here's a question. It's probably even more complicated than the last question that was complicated. What's the solution? I literally, I literally don't know. I mean, everyone, everyone in the Times comments has been saying, "Oh, why have you got Twitter? Get rid of your, get rid of your Twitter account." Um, and, I, and I agree because I was actually looking at some of my old, some of my old tweets uh, from like a year ago, and I just like, "What on earth are you on about, you fatuous idiot?" <laughs> kind of, do you ever think? Do you ever look at your old tweets from like a year ago, and you're like, "You were talking complete nonsense." Weirdly, when when I first went on Twitter, I linked it to my Facebook, so every tweet, and in the end, I could just tell it was just annoying everyone. <laughs> so I get sort of. I'm I'm currently like reliving the early days of the coalition uh, in the sort of you know, um, and I and I've, I've gone back and looked at a couple of them and like I've asked questions to which nobody responded because it was 2009 <laughs> and I had like a hundred followers or whatever. Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's, there's something about there's something about the photos because what's really nice about photos it does take you back to it reminds yes. you of a thing yeah. it captures a moment. I'd completely forgotten about that festival I went to or those nights you know or whatever, but. Um, I want control of them. There's something about when you put it on the internet, you sort of hand control over to someone else, India. Yeah, it's I, yeah, that makes me very uncomfortable as well. I think it's all. I think maybe a solution is to consume the internet but not participate in it. I think that probably works quite well. My 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 feeling is um, that you know on apps like uh, Snapchat, which I used to have but no longer have, you send pictures and they disappear and they last for like you know um, you watch it for sort of ten seconds. I think that's why I don't understand why that's not the default for Twitch and everything. You send a tweet, it lasts for a day, and then it goes. And then if you want to but save something, that's an active choice. It, that's that, that's true. But I sort of feel like there should be just more. Inf- it might help if everything just disappeared, and you have to choose <laughs> to keep it. Do you know what I mean? That'd be better for everyone. <laughs> well, I think the idea the, the idea that you are your past, you know, denies anybody any kind of chance to evolve or grow or change. Yes, their minds, yeah, yeah. We've it? talked about You'll that a lot before. The yeah. You're stuck in aspic because of something you said in 2007. I mean, it's it's completely silly, is what it is. <laughs> I love talking to you, too. It's so much fun. Uh, almost as much as I love those flares in that photo. Um, I love your flares. Why was I wearing flares? I like how they're beige as well. I have to tell you, India, there is not a cat in hell's chance I'll be able to still get into those flares. Very skinny. They were. I know. Where's Where's my chin gone? It used, it used, I used to look. I used to have a chin. Anyway, anyway, uh, it's lovely to speak to you as ever. India Knight, James Murray. India, we'll, we'll send you videos. We'll post on Facebook f- videos of uh, James because he won't be able to see them. Um, yes, James, please. James, you got off a disco nap. Uh, yeah, I've got to, get, got to get my strength up. This will is you, actually where I want the internet to disappear before you, tonight. Will you be having um, a bath before you come tonight? Um, I, knowing I'm actually love a bath. Are you saying I need a bath? <laughs> no, but you like a bath. I do like a prepare. bath, but I mean, I, I feel clean. I, I, I don't know. Well, I feel slightly insulted now. Um, no, I wasn't saying you need if, to have a you, bath. I just you, know that I you like a relaxing bath. There's <laughs> <laughs> some fresh pasta in the bath. That's what you I mean, that, 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 that's, that, that's, that's my ideal evening. <laughs> India Knight and James Marriott, then, of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to, you know the address by now, thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. Up next, do prisons work? 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. Do prisons work? It's a question that uh, gets asked uh, occasionally in politics. In a, in a moment, we're going to hear from someone who's recently left prison only in August. We'll find out how he's been adjusting to uh, life outside. But first, I caught up with Robert Buckland, who was the Justice Secretary until uh, the reshuffle in September has real experience of, and saw the whole prison service through uh, the pandemic uh, and everything that went on there, both uh, trying to look after prisoners during uh, the pandemic, but also try to get the justice system back up and running with Nightingale Courts and that sort of thing. But I started off by asking him if the right people go to prison and do they stay there for long enough? By and large, yes. The jail population now is very largely made up of people who are inside for very serious sexual and violent offences, the sort of people that, frankly, the public need protecting from. There are, I think, however, still too many people who end up in prison uh, in a way that could be wholly avoided. Uh, And that's people who go there for very short sentences, perhaps people who've got, you know, conditions that haven't been properly looked at or diagnosed, for whom an alternative a non-custodial, a non-prison alternative, could work and would also serve to protect the public. And is that an argument that you felt able to make as a Conservative Justice Secretary, where the sort of prison works, lock them up and throw away the key, uh, is a sort of sign of success almost, you've got more people in prison because it means you're locking up all the baddies? Well, no, actually, uh, very much so. And more than that, I published a white paper last year which set all this out. You know, in the white paper were a lot of the measures that we're seeing going through Parliament now about making sure that serious violent and sexual offenders stay inside for longer. But with that, there was lots of constructive proposals about how we can strengthen community sentences, how we can uh, deal with people who have perhaps undiagnosed autism or other types of uh, condition. Uh, There was a lot in the white paper that actually took a very smart approach to sentencing, which I think the public 
really get. You know, I, you know, when it comes to public protection, prison will often be the only option, and quite right too. And long terms of imprisonment are entirely appropriate. But I think the public do accept that there are cases where people who, who can be genuinely helped uh, should uh, have that opportunity, get rehabilitation, and then move away from that cycle of crime. I suppose that's the thing: is the, the, sort of the, what, what is the point of prison? And public protection from dangerous people is a is an obvious one. There's uh, punishment, which you know, yeah. if you've broken the law, that that should be one. And then I suppose there's deterrence, and there's yeah. a point at which punishment and deterrence you could end up well either ruining someone's life to the extent that they end up uh, reoffending. Mm-hmm. Or they go in, like you said, they go in for a short space of time and uh, get in with the wrong sort and come out even more likely to, to reoffend. Well, look, there is that danger, the colleges of crime argument. I mean, punishment look, is, is important. Uh, and I don't buy this uh, argument that some of punishment belongs to the 19th century. I think if you do crime, then punishment is part of it. But, you know, the punishment is the actual jail, going to jail. What happens next should be a meaningful time in jail. You know, I, I'm a great believer in uh, making sure that time in prison is time well spent, which is why doing more to improve education and skills training, doing more to improve uh, purposeful activity, whether it's uh, accessing, uh, you know, courses and the like, even from inside your cell. You know, there are so many things now that technology can bring that mean that, uh, you know, increasingly there shouldn't be uh, the scenario where people are just idling away their time in prison, finding, um, you know, things to do that would lead, as you say, to this cycle of crime being carried on. You know, there are good examples in the prison system of this happening. Not enough, in my view. Uh, they've just come out of a very tough couple of years with COVID. Um, but I- I'm optimistic that if my successor, as I hope, carries on uh, the vision that I had about uh, time in prison being time well spent, that you know, prisons increasingly can contribute to a reduction in uh, reoffending. Uh, do you think society is changing as well when it comes to <clears throat> taking on uh, inmates, so that people who've got that on their, you know, they've done their mm. time. That's the yeah. that's the thing. And in, in, you know, it will park very serious offences because you know they'll be yeah. inside for a long time. But lots of people who've committed low-level or medium-level uh, offences have done their time and been released. Do you think society is changing in terms of the view of hiring those people, the the, uh, the idea of a second chance? Oh, I, I think uh, society uh, is changing. I think business is changing its attitude, and this is the important thing. You know, um, we have laws and rules about convictions no longer having to be disclosed after so many years, which is, which is good, and we're cha- making further changes. But frankly, if businesses are knowingly employing people who have had previous convictions and giving them a second chance, I think that's the best way in which we can break the cycle of crime. And we've got some good examples. You know, we all know about Timpsons, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the network um, across the country that does this. But there are lots of other big companies that are doing it as well. Some perhaps are quietly doing it. But the key thing is that we need more uh, to do this, and particularly the time when job vacancies are now topping 1.2 million, it, you know, uh, and, and the government has, uh, has signalled its clear intention not to just solve the problem by importing uh, more and more uh, labour from uh, abroad. Um, then, you know, ex-offenders, uh, uh, ex-prisoners, uh, uh, people who've got criminal convictions, but uh, are going to increasingly 
um, you know, form part of the workforce. And that, that's, that's good on all fronts. It's good for them, good for their families, and I think it's good for society in terms of cutting crime. Um, I need to ask you about the impact of the pandemic on the prison service for mm. and i remember you know reading about things happening in america the same was possibly true here as well of just you know the mm. the the concern the 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 conditions of inmates is probably <clears throat> quite low on the list of public concerns whether it was hospitals or care homes or whatever it might be mm. but it was grim wasn't it in prison during the pandemic well, look, it was very hard. You know, lockdown in the community meant lockdown in prisons as well. But I'll say this. I think the very fact we didn't see prisons hitting the headlines was testament to the incredible work of prison officers and officials in understanding how the disease was spread, in quarantining new admissions to the prison service, in segregating the vulnerable and uh, those who uh, were symptomatic, and really, you know, bearing down heavily on COVID in prisons. You know, in the end, um, we lost, uh, you know, people died, and that, that was absolutely tragic. But the numbers were in, you know, just over about 120 or so, 130, compared to what we could have seen, which would have been thousands of deaths had the disease been unchecked. Um, and, and I think that the fact that we didn't have to have mass releases of prisoners into the community, which we saw in places like America and elsewhere, you know, in the end, I think only about 200 prisoners were, were released as part of the special scheme compared to thousands in, in the United States or, or some other comparable countries. You know, that, that was a quiet uh, achievement, I think. Um, and again, we avoided the mass disorder and unrest that we saw, for example, in Italy, where you know people died in riots as a result of um, you know poorly communicated decisions to lock prisoners down. All that was avoided in Britain, uh, and that was not an accident. That was as a result of tireless work by everybody involved. The the other end of the justice system, of course, affected by the pandemic was uh, courts <coughs> and the setting up of Nightingale courts, Nightingale courts to try and uh, get through the backlog. How long do you think? There's been lots of talk about NHS backlog. How long will it take to get through the the justice system's backlog? Do you think? Well, I'm hugely proud of the work I did to set up Nightingale Courts. Uh, you know, this was very much a combination of local initiative by um, officials and uh, lawyers in local areas, and then my drive to see more and more courts opened. I think that in the magistrates' courts, the problems are being solved. Um, everything that I understand about it leads to me to believe that the numbers will be back down to pre-COVID levels by the end of this year. And in large parts of the rest of the country, in the Crown Courts, the um, caseload is being managed really well. The, the, the pressure comes on Crown Courts in London and the South East, in particular, where there is a notable uh, caseload, a backlog of cases. And Rather than the overall number of cases being the um, here, it's the time that it takes for a case from the sentence or disposal, you know, that it, that has been going up within six months. And it's particularly di- particularly difficult if you're on bail uh, and you're waiting for a trial, and if you're a witness or a victim waiting to give evidence. I don't think it's possible to give an absolute timescale on when Crown Court, um, t- you know, timescales and backlogs are going to be reduced to pre-COVID levels. But what I do know is that with the resources the system is being given, uh, with the uh, end of a, a limit to sitting days, it's really all about max, maxing out capacity and trying to make sure that uh, you know every possible case is listed, subject now to limitations about the availability of perhaps judges and barristers. That's become a real issue in the last few months. 
Um, just finally, uh, Robert Buckland, I want to ask you about, uh, obviously, the terrible news we've had uh, yesterday about, uh, more, well, up to more than 27 people dying in the channel uh, trying to make mm-hmm. it to the UK. You sat in the, the Cabinet for a long time alongside uh, Pretty Patel. Is she the right person to get a grip on this crisis? There's been an awful lot of talk, an awful lot of finger-pointing and blame game, but the problem seems to be getting worse. Is she the right person to, to sort this out? Well, look, I think you know, Pretty's been in office for two years now. She's uh, absolutely, uh, I think, the right person to carry this through. I think that what we've got to remember is that the tragedy of small boats and the horror, the danger of the small boats is um, because people traffickers are now using ever more desperate measures to try and get people um, across the channel to make money out of it. You know, they used to send them on lorries, you know, the horror of those appalling conditions in lorries. There's been a quiet success story in the British, in that the British authorities have stopped a large, uh, the, the, the lion's share, the large part of that grisly trade. Uh, and therefore, uh, we're seeing a, re- a result to ever more desperate Measures, but the overall context of this is that you know the numbers are not as high as they were, uh, uh, but the, the 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 manifestation of it is all the more worrying and visible, and that's why I think work with the French and not just the French, but work across Europe to actually nail this issue of people trafficking needs to be done. And you know my, my mind is very much drawn towards. The need, perhaps, for a, for a, for a bit of summary on this, for bringing the nations of Europe together and saying, look, this is a problem we need to deal with its source. Is there more we can do to process and clear people at the borders of Europe? And is there more we can collaborate financially and logistically to share the um, the load, if you like, uh, um, when it comes to refugees and the the the, the ineluctable fact that people want to escape from war-torn parts of the world and Europe is seen as a safe haven. Do you think Boris Johnson should call that uh, international summit? And would it would it be easier then to fix this if we were still in the EU, because it would be all EU countries <laughs> working together? Well, look, we're not in the EU, and I could you know chew over their bones about Dublin 3 and all these protocols and things that we used to be signed up to. We're not there, but we're still part of Europe. And that's why I think you know working with and engaging with the EU at that level would be entirely appropriate. You know, the parallel I draw is with William Hague, who, if you remember, uh, really led and dealt with the problem of piracy um, in the in and around Somalia, which yeah. is really affecting shipping lanes and really an international problem. He, he he called a summit in London, and it was sorted. Now, I'm not saying that people trafficking is necessarily the same, you know, the same issue. It's a, a lot bigger and more complex in many ways. But we've got to try. And as we did with COP26, you know, uh, you know, the, the large measure, I think, real progress was made there. You know, I think this sort of approach needs to be taken for, to what is a pan-European problem. Robert Buckland, thank you so much for joining us on Times Radio. Thanks, Matt. That's the former Justice Secretary, uh, Robert Buckland, talking us through how he sees the prison system. Up next, we're going to speak to two people who've uh, left prison and we'll uh, find out what happens uh, when they did so. Morning, Tybell. Morning. It's nice to have you with us. Um, explain, first of all, uh, how, well, why were you in prison and what went, what the, the process then of leaving? Well, I was um, convicted on a drug charge, um, possession of intent to supply. So um, I was actually um, sentenced to... Um, 30 months, I served 15, well, 12 in prison, three months out on tag, which is a curfew. Um, Yeah, I spent 12 contacting anyone. A lot of people didn't even know that I was being released on the day. So 
it was a stressful experience if I'm honest yeah um and I had to go to um find my hostel I was actually told by police that I wasn't allowed to go back to my mum's address so I had to move out um on the day find find where my hostel was with no phone or internet connection so yeah it was a it was a tough experience for me personally and I suppose, I mean, your your sentence then, because we talked to Robert Buckland about it, there were clearly different reasons why people go to prison, sometimes for public safety, uh, yeah. punishment and obviously deterrence. But your punishment, you know, ends when you uh, leave or you, like you said, you had a tag. But then in, in terms of, you know, you're, to, to literally just send you out the gate and leave you to try and sort things out for yourself doesn't seem like the best way of helping you get back onto your feet did you feel at all prepared then for um you know getting back to nor- you know normal life you know um the most help you have is really from other prisoners who you've done it before you know so they kind of try to give you a guide on when you get out make sure you've called your 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 friends or your family a couple of days before you know make sure you do this and that but i mean everyone's situation is different also so um you have a lot of people that didn't know they was being released the the jail come to them in the morning and told them yeah pack your stuff we're getting released and my jail was um in Coventry I'm from London so you know the whole process of getting back to London was stressful I mean they gave me a travel warrant which was good I can travel to any station in in England basically but um with no phone no means of contacting my probation um I ended up even missing my probation meeting and I could have went back to jail the next day because of that in itself so it was a stressful experience for me. And in that situation, I'm not saying that you would have done but some people would have found themselves potentially having to think about breaking the... You know, if you haven't got means of contact, you haven't got somewhere to stay, uh, you maybe need food or, uh, you know, you said travel or whatever it might be. It doesn't feel like the best way to prepare you for a life of not breaking the law. No, no, it, it doesn't. And that's the thing about it, you know, they kind of just leave you to your own devices and a lot of people... Um, if they really weren't set on changing their life like I was before I left, I made a decision that, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore and I'm going to do something else. A lot of people will just find themselves slipping back into it so easily. And I think that's one of the main problems we have. And just, um, you mentioned you were in prison during the, the pandemic. What was it like? Yeah. Um, how much, I mean, presumably, you know, contact is, was pretty limited. limited. What, was, what, just, what was that like for you as an experience? You know, it is tough on people's mental health. I know um, we talk about mental health and a lot of people are divided whether we should be taking the mental health of convicted prisoners into account. But, you know, these people just separated from their families, separated from their loved ones, you know, um, locked up. Most most prisons are 23 hours, um, 23 hour lockup. So if you're lucky, you get one hour out. Some have about 20 minutes out. So just not getting any sunlight, not getting any fresh air, being in inside that little cell all day, I can assure you it isn't good for anyone's mental health, whether you are a convicted prisoner or even the people um, who were just um, on lockdown at home. You know, being locked down for so long, not being able to see your family, people know what kind of effect that has on your mental health. So, I mean, a lot of people struggled, if I'm honest. And just finally, just because, you know, people were saying, well, you, you, know, you broke the law, you went to prison, it's not supposed to be uh, a lot of fun. But what are, you, what are you doing now? You said, you know, you left prison in August. How are things now? How are you making sure that you don't end up back there? Well, you know, um, there is help um, through the prison system if you really do look and ask. You know, it's not so readily available, but 
I was um, able to get in touch with a mentor group called Switchback. They helped me a lot upon release, you know, um, helped me get back on track, um, start getting into work, applying for my universal credit. So right now I've just finished a course for um, level two fitness instructor that should allow me to work in any gym in the country. Um, and yeah, I just plan on working in the gyms, hopefully getting my personal training badge and, um, you know, just um, doing my own thing and, you know, um, help, helping, helping my family. You know, that was the most important thing for me, getting back to see my family and, you know, just um, helping everyone out how I can um, get a job and, you know, do my best. Well, we wish you luck in that. We really appreciate you um, sharing your story because it's so uh, recent as well. Tyrell there, thanks very much for joining us on Times Radio. And uh, best of luck with it all. But um, I'm sure everyone would uh, would wish you uh, the best. Let's bring in now David Breakspear, who spent 15 years in prison, is now a prison reform campaigner. Hi, David. Hi, good morning, Matt. Thank you. Uh, we've also got Paula Harriet from the Prisons Reform Trust. Hi, Paula. Hi, um, David, first of all, uh, listen to Tyrell's story. There. I know it's much longer ago uh, since you uh, left prison, but does that f- sort of ring true your experience as well? It just seems like you know, we'll, we'll park the, uh, the the question of why he was in prison. You know, he was caught, he broke the law, he was caught, he was sentenced. But just tur- turfing people out of the gate like that doesn't seem like the best way of making sure that, you know, people who don't necessarily have uh, Tyrell's um, um, uh, self-discipline it'd be very easy to end up breaking the law again, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, indeed. I mean, um, Tyrell's quite rare, really, um, for someone that's gone in for the first time. Um, and the thing is, with release, it's it's ironic that it's known as going straight, when in fact it's anything but. It's a zigzag. Um, there are so many ups and downs, and not just ups and downs for you personally, but there's also ups and downs and obstacles and hurdles that the system themselves place in the way. Uh, you heard Tyrell there talking about probation and how he was fortunate that he didn't get sent back to prison because he was in such a situation that he nearly missed his first probation appointment. So there's not a lot of consideration that goes into what an individual has to face when they're being released from prison. Uh, Paula, what can we do to make the system work better? Because ultimately, the aim is to reduce crime, stop people offending, and the people who are most likely to offend are the people who have offended before. So yeah. what what can we do so that more people end up like Tyrell and trying to do the right thing and fewer leave prison and end up breaking the law again? Well, I think uh, Robert Buckland said about time well spent, didn't he? And that's actually... Um, the name of a report that the Prison Reform Trust published in 2011, and um, which talks really to the need for prisons to be, you've talked about punishment, you've talked about, um, uh, but we haven't talked about rehabilitation. And I think that that's the missing discussion in prisons. It's about, we don't want people just to be lying on their beds um, not learning about themselves, taking responsibility for their crime, doing work, preparing for release, um, you know, getting skills that they've missed out on, you know, improving education. Robert Buckland did talk about the need for improving education. The education um, in prisons is is very fragmented and very hit and miss about whether you get any at all, and especially under COVID and work. And skills, opportunities, they've also been immensely limited under COVID, but also prior to COVID weren't in the best of state either. So we're not doing sufficient in prison to make sure that that time is well spent. 
i.e. addressing the issues that you came in with, building your skills, putting together the support for people as they come out through the gates so they know where they're going, so that they've got a phone, so that they've got um, a vision for their lives and that they haven't, by being in prison, destroyed their family support networks, which are so critical um, for you on release. So this is what we need to be doing. We need to be making sure that we live up to this notion of time well spent and we need to be prepared to put in the money to increase the likelihood of that happening. Just finally, David, I suppose that this thing that uh, uh, once you've served your sentence and done your time, that shouldn't ruin your life forever, should it? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, we all make mistakes in life. Um, everyone makes mistakes. Um, and if we look at this country, there's 11.6 million people with a criminal record. So in some aspects, it's there, but for the grace of God, go I. But those mistakes and mistakes that are made from certain circumstances and situations, we're talking about, I suppose, irrational decisions, but they're decisions that are being made because of a set of circumstances, because of a certain situation. They're not decisions that are being made, if you like, from a normal life, from a from a three bedroom house. They're decisions being made in the shop doorway, um, freezing cold and hungry. So that's where those kind of decisions are being made. So they're not really criminals or bad people. It's just bad life choice, life chances and and we keep beating and beating and beating them down rather than pick them up and if we have to have prison why not have the best prison system in the world it, <laughs> it, it just makes sense it's, it's a fascinating conversation uh to have with you thank you very much for that there's david breakspear uh, there, prison reform campaigner who's, who himself spent 15 years in prison before that paula howiet from the prisons reform trust we also heard from Tyrell, and we've had messages in saying wish him all the greatest success for his future. I'm sure everyone does. And uh, we also heard from Robert Buckland, the former Justice Secretary, uh, taking a look at whether or not prison works. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you can listen via the Times Radio app. Catch me Monday to Friday, 10 to 1, live on Times Radio. And if you want to come on and play the hugely popular quiz, can you get to number 10? Email me your details, matt.chorley at times.radio, and we'll get you on very soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.